Years ago, I was on a mission trip to South Africa. I was a part of a basketball team that played in some tournaments there. And we used that as an opportunity to share the gospel. And uh, I was on a team with some former professional players and uh, some uh, friends of mine who all were from the Knoxville, Tennessee area. And so when we were in South Africa one morning, we went to get breakfast at this little restaurant and a friend of mine, just a good old country boy from Knoxville, Tennessee, said to the person who was taking our order, y'all have any biscuits and gravy? And I'll never forget the person looking at my friend like he was from outer space. And so he said, you know, like biscuits and gravy. Y'all got any biscuits and gravy? You know, and he kept repeating it as if that was making the situation better. And he was getting the same response, like, what in the world are you talking about? Because for those of you who've been to Europe, or you've been to places like South Africa, which has a lot of European influence, a biscuit is not a biscuit. A biscuit is a cookie. And so what this person heard in their vocabulary is do you have any cookies and gravy? And thus the weird reaction, because who puts gravy on their snickerdoodles? And if you've traveled overseas and you've tried to maybe use some words that mean something to you that don't mean the same thing to the person you're speaking to, uh, you know how very frightening that can be. Uh, for example, like we're in football season here. You know, when you go to Europe, football is not football. Football is soccer. And I think we've earned the right now to own the word football. Like I know for all of human history, football has meant soccer, but this is America, okay? And uh, football should be football. But football is not football as you travel overseas. Football is soccer. Uh, handy, we like to say, you know, that's really handy. Well, in Germany, handy does not mean like you're good with your hands. Handy is a cell phone. handy. Um, <laughs> in Ireland, I've been to Ireland, it's a beautiful country. A wagon in Ireland is not a wagon. A wagon in Ireland is an unpleasant woman. <laughs> so you can imagine as an American who's traveling to Ireland, you see, that's a real nice wagon you got there. You could get yourself in a lot of trouble. So I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been talking with someone and the words you're using are not the words they're using. It can be a rather harrowing situation because different words have different meanings in different contexts. And, and then there's a dynamic in play where words can take on new meanings or different meanings throughout the passing of time. That's why, by the way, for those of you who are English majors, you know this, written language always follows spoken language. 
Because in our speaking over time, words can take on different meanings in our speaking and then in our writing that typically follows. You know, over the course of time, words can take on different meanings. They can expand in meaning. They can constrict in meaning. They can take on entirely different meanings altogether. You know, language is just a product of culture. So that's what makes an exchange that Jesus has with a religious expert during his earthly ministry so very interesting because Jesus takes a word that meant something to this man that he's speaking with and that meant something to the culture in which Jesus lived. And he actually is going to radically expand the meaning of the word in such a way that it introduces a new dynamic of gospel engagement. There was a word that this religious expert used all of his life. It meant one thing. There was a word that his culture used all of its existence. Jesus is now going to expand it. It's going to mean something entirely different. Jesus is going to take a word and he is going to broaden the meaning of it in a way that for some it's encouraging and frankly to some it's offensive. The word is neighbor. Now that may seem like a pretty, you know, benign word, neighbor. Well, the way Jesus uses it and the way he expands its meaning is radical. And as we'll see today, is offensive to some. Because for us, and really for the culture in which Jesus lived, the word neighbor simply meant the person that lives next door to you or the person who lived in close proximity to you. There's a general understanding of neighbor throughout human history and certainly in our culture that suggests, you know, your neighbor is someone who generally speaking, you know, embraces the same cultural values as you. They generally speak the same language. They probably look similar. They probably value similar things. Neighbor is typically associated with someone that you like, someone that you care for, someone that you get along with, someone that you can relate to, right? But what Jesus does in his ministry is something that is incredibly radical. And he takes this word and the meaning associated with it, and he radically expands it to mean something that some people were very uncomfortable with. Here's how he does it, okay? At one point in his ministry, Jesus talked about the two greatest commandments. And he seems together the Shema, which was the Jewish statement about the most important thing in life, right? You will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Deuteronomy 6. And he joins it together with something that came out of Leviticus 19, actually, that talks about neighbor. And Jesus joins together, in essence, kind of two summary statements about the law. In other words, Jesus kind of says, if you boil the law down to two pillars, the entire law, everything in the law, all the little minutia and all the big ideas, all of it, Jesus says, you, you can just put it on two pillars. It would all rest on two pillars. And Jesus says, here's the most important thing. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then do you remember what he said? You will love your who? Your neighbor as yourself. That was new. There's no Old Testament scripture that puts those things together. This is new. 
Jesus says, you want to know what the most important thing is? That you, it's two sides of the same coin. You love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then secondly, you love your neighbor as yourself. Man, this is like radical. No one had ever joined together those two aspects of the law before. Jesus doesn't just join them together. He says, actually, the entire law is built on these two things. And, and so I want to go to Luke 10. I want to show you here Luke 10 because here, here's what happens. There's a man who comes to Jesus and he says, okay, Lord. He's trying to justify himself. He says, okay, you know what? I, I want to show you I'm doing both these things. I'm loving God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I'm loving my neighbor as myself. Now, isn't that kind of audacious? This is like a kid, like we all grew up with these kids in school, right? They always knew the answer to every question in class. Any of you know a kid like, did anybody marry someone like that? If so, would you just point them out today? Let's just, okay. All right, the smart one's in the room. Okay, one right here. I see, okay. You know who you are, smart people. And, and some of these people, you know, they raise their hands. And, and, and there's a point at which, you know, in our own pride, right? I'm not saying any of you are like this, but sometimes it, you're, you're more interested in showing other people that you know the answer to the question than you are in actually answering the question. <laughs> and that's this man talking to Jesus. There's a guy who's coming up to Jesus during his ministry and he wants to prove to Jesus and to others that he is the real deal. He's more interested in showing people what he knows than in actually knowing God. And so he actually says to Jesus, right? He's like, um, hey, I wanna, I wanna prove, I, I love God and I love my neighbor. And he asked Jesus, right, trying to justify himself. He's like, Jesus, let, just, let, yeah, just tell me who my neighbor is. Just give me, give me an example of, of one of my neighbors and I'll show you how I'm loving them. And this man, of course, is thinking of neighbor as, the, as how we would think of neighbor. He's thinking of neighbor as how historically his society thought of neighbor. Someone that he likes, someone that thinks like him generally, that believes like him generally, someone that he would get along with generally. And he's thinking Jesus is going to talk about a man or a, or a woman that lives in his context. And he can say, let me show you how I'm loving my community. And he can justify himself. But that, of course, Jesus is privy to this. And so Jesus doesn't go along with this man's little self-justification. Jesus says, you want to know who your neighbor is? Let me, let, let, me, let me illustrate with a story. Isn't it awesome how Jesus used story? Let, let me show you Luke 10, beginning in verse 30. Okay, here's, here's what Jesus said. Let me just, you want to know who your neighbor is? Let me break it down. Here's, here's what it looks like. You see, there was a Jewish man who was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now, let me, this is very, very important. If you know geography, actually you went north to go to Jericho, but geographically, like in terms of topography, I, I think that's the right word. Okay, um, you, you, you go down. Okay, you with me? So that was important when you walk everywhere you went, right? 
It's important if you're going uphill or downhill. There's a big difference between the two. So you, you're actually going north, but you're going downhill, so to speak. So, so, there, so Jesus tells this story. There's a man going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he's attacked by bandits. Now, Jesus is telling a story here, but this is a story tied to historical realities because the road to Jericho was a very dangerous road. There are a lot of uh, rocky places where uh, bandits or robbers would hide out and they would often uh, appear and they would injure, kill, rob uh, on this road. It was known as a dangerous road. So Jesus is telling a story, but he's leaning into some historical realities. Okay, so Jesus says this man's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's attacked by bandits. They strip him of his clothes. They beat him up and they leave him for dead. So the man's severely injured. He's lying on the side of the road. Now watch this. Jesus says, by chance a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Okay, this is important. He sees the man, but he's gonna act like he doesn't see him and he walks on the other side of the road. We've all done it, right? You bunch of hypocrites. This is why I'm preaching to you today, okay? Come on, you've seen that ex-boyfriend or girlfriend in the mall, right? And you've, you've walked on the other side. You've seen that person that you don't like or, or um, you've, 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 you know, you've been on a walk in your community and there's that person you see that you don't like and you act like you don't see them and you walk on the other side. We've all done it. So the priest does it. Sees the man lying there, he's gonna walk on the other side of the road and he's gonna act like he doesn't see him. Okay, all right. Let's keep going. So then uh, a temple assistant, Levite, walks over and looks at him lying there. But he also passes by on the other side. And then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And so he stops, verse 34, and he goes over to him. And the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He put the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn where he took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins saying, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. In other words, at his own expense, he cares for this Jewish man who was his enemy. And then Jesus says this, now... Which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And of course, this self-justifying Jewish man says, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, yeah, you go and do the same. Now, this is a famous story that Jesus tells. I actually think it's one of the most misunderstood stories that Jesus tells. Because what Jesus does here is radical. This isn't just a feel-good story about, hey, you ought to just help somebody who's on the side of the road. Man, what Jesus does here is radically redefine how a gospel-centered people live their lives. Would you just let that sink in a second? Jesus radically redefines how a gospel-centered people live their lives. How they manage their money, how they spend their time, how they think about their influence. This is radical. 
The man says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus, would you just tell me that my neighbor is my Jewish brothers and sisters, and then I'll be able to demonstrate to you how I'm loving them. You see, it's impossible to prove your love for God to someone else. That's a personal, internal kind of thing, right? And, and so the man in justifying himself had no tangible way to say, well, I love God. I mean, he could talk about going to church or tithing or something, but I mean, really he's trying to justify himself by showing, let me, let me prove to you how I'm caring for my community. And Jesus isn't gonna play the game. The man asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus isn't gonna go along with his little self-justifying routine. Jesus tells this story. Jesus tells a story with some historical realities and a deep spiritual truth about what it looks like to live for him in this new kingdom that he's establishing. And so Jesus talks about this Samaritan. Of course, it's said in the context of a Jewish man being injured. And then you have the priest and you have the Levite who see him and walk on the other side of the road. They don't stop to help him. You see, this is profound because the priest is like varsity and the Levite here is like JV. All right, or it's like the priest is like the sheriff's deputy and the Levite is like the mall cop, <laughs> okay? This is like, kind of like legit priest, like top of the food chain. And then like, okay, you have like his assistant or his up and comer. Both see a fellow Jewish man who don't miss what Jesus is doing here, their neighbor, And they're not inclined to do anything to help. It would have required a sacrifice of time. It would have required a sacrifice of money. It would have required a sacrifice of energy. And that dude's laying there. They're probably thinking, you know what? This happens all the time on this road. That's why Jesus talked about the road even in this story. Somebody else will get him. Somebody else will help him or it's too late. No help is going to really help at all. And then you have this Samaritan who stops. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you're new to this context between Jews and Samaritans, you understand for many, many years, Jews and Samaritans like hated each other with an intensity that really we see in the Middle East today that we're seeing right now, frankly. I mean, this is like people who were raised to hate other people from their earliest days on planet Earth. You're taught that the right thing to do before God is to hate these people. So this isn't like, um, you know, you're a Florida fan and you don't like Florida State fans, right? This isn't like some type of hatred that we know in America. That's not real hatred. The type of hatred that existed between Jews and Samaritans was a hatred that ran so deep, it's hard for the American mind to comprehend it. Okay, the, the Mishnah, which was a commentary on the Old Testament by Jewish rabbis, made this statement. He that eats the bread of a Samaritan is like one who eats the flesh of swine. Jews avoided Samaria in such a way, like they went way out of their way in their travels, literally just to avoid going through where Samaritans lived. Like if you were to travel from here to Canada, right, like it'd be like, going through the panhandle, hitting East Texas and going around like, because you just wanna avoid people from Georgia. 
which I totally understand. But I'm just saying like, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So I, I just want you, it's hard for us to understand this hatred. It was real. It was like, again, you're taught from your youth that to hate these people is actually the godly thing. And so here you have a Jewish man trying to justify himself. Jesus, who's my neighbor? Tell me who my neighbor is. I already know who it is. It's my Jews. It's my friends, right? It's my coworkers. Just, and then I'll, I'm going to give you some examples of how I'm doing that. I'm going to justify myself. And Jesus doesn't even answer the question. He says, let me tell you this story. And the story is radical and the story is offensive because... The priest doesn't stop and the Levite doesn't stop, but the Samaritan stops. And why does he stop? Because he had compassion. Now don't miss the obvious, okay? His compassion for the man who was wounded surpassed his hatred for the people the wounded man came from. That word compassion in the New Testament is, is a word that literally talks about like the innermost part of you. Like it's not just like a fleeting feeling, okay? This is like the dude was broken. Like the dude, like, I mean, I know you felt this before. Like, there's just, you, you come across a situation or a person who's hurt or something, and there's just something inside of you, like you feel it. There's, there's this compassion, this sympathy, right? Like this, this heartbreak. And, and this, this Samaritan feels it. The priest didn't feel it. The Levite didn't feel it. The Samaritan feels it. And his compassion was more profound than his hatred. And so he stops. And at his own expense, he helps this man who was his enemy. And he saves his life and he cares for him. And he ensures that the finances are given so that he's cared for even in his absence. And then Jesus says, now don't miss this, here's the meaning of the parable. Jesus says, now who was the neighbor? Who was the friend? And of course, the self-justifying legal expert of of the Jewish people is forced to say, there is no other answer other than, well, the one who showed mercy, the one who showed compassion, right? Notice he won't say the Samaritan. He won't say that. But he has to at least acknowledge the one who showed mercy. Well, the one who showed mercy was the Samaritan. And Jesus says, yes, that's exactly right. Now you go and do likewise. And what Jesus is doing, do you see this? Is radically redefining what it means to live in this world and to have neighbors. He's radically redefining what it means to be a Christ follower and engage the world in which you live. Because here's what Jesus is saying, all right? If you're taking notes, just write this down. One thing today, your neighbor is anyone in need of compassion. Your neighbor is anyone in need of compassion. And when you have the resources and the opportunity to meet the need, you meet the need in Jesus' name. You say, yeah, but they're a Jew or a Samaritan or whatever. Yeah, you know what?
Christ followers should be defined by a people of compassion, not a people of hatred. A people who meet the needs of those that we have the opportunity. We can't meet everybody's need, but when we have opportunity and we have the resources, Jesus says, you engage the world. You love them. The two most important things, you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? Well, your neighbor is anyone in need of compassion. And so here's how Jesus flips the story upon this legal expert. The question initially was, who is my neighbor? Jesus isn't interested in those little games. Jesus then asked at the end, who proved to be a neighbor? who proved to be a neighbor. And if you're new to the Bible, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus is ultimately telling the story about what he will do for you and me. Because you want to know who the ultimate good Samaritan is? It's Jesus. You know what Jesus did? Jesus had compassion on his enemies. Jesus brought healing At his own expense, Jesus proved to be a neighbor to you and me, to those in need, by coming to this earth, born of a virgin. Yes, it is Christmas season apparently. (laughs) It's a little too early for me. I'll be taking that up with Lewis when I get to the lobby. But um, yeah, you know what? Jesus, the son of God, the creator of heaven and earth, came to dwell among a people who hated him. And yet he gave his life for them. He shed his blood for them. And then he rose from the dead. In human history, we're not talking about myth or fable. We're talking about a resurrection witnessed by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. We're talking about this Jesus who today, therefore, has offered salvation through his death and through his resurrection. The one who took the wrath of God in our place for our sin. We're talking about this Jesus who then gives freely to those who look to him in faith, who ask for his forgiveness. This Jesus who provides, this Jesus who guides, this Jesus who comforts, the Jesus who does all of this at his own initiative, in his own expense. He does all of it to a people that don't deserve it, a people who have rejected him and a people therefore who love him and serve him because we are the recipients of the greatest gift in the history of the world. He is the good Samaritan. Jesus is telling this story. You want to know who your neighbor is? Your neighbor is anyone in need. It may be your friend. It may be your enemy. It may be someone you like. It may be someone you dislike. It may be someone you understand. It may be someone you don't understand. But Jesus is ultimately talking about his own ministry and that this is what it looks like to engage your world as your neighbors. It's going to do what I'm going to do which is when you have the opportunity and the resources to help, you help in my name for my glory because what I came to do is to offer salvation to a world that desperately needs it. There's a heaven and a hell. There's eternal joy and there's eternal punishment. Jesus is like, hey, listen, you gotta set aside your hatred. You gotta set aside your preferences. You gotta set aside what you were taught as a youth 
And recognize in this world, when you walk by someone who's beaten and bloody and left for dead and you have the means and the resources to help them, you help them. You get them to me. And if you're new to Bell Shoals and you walk through the lobby today and you're seeing signs with all these countries, all these places we're going all over the world, you think about the sacrifice of dollars that takes scheduling a week of vacation. You think about what we do right here at home with our Real Hope house and what happens every single week as we meet the needs of hundreds of families in our communities. You think about all the ministries we are a part of from preschool to kids to students to adults. When you think about um, the camps that we do and the events that we offer and all that we, when you think about all of the collective energy that is Bell Shoals, like, why do these people gather? Why do we give? Why do we go? Why? Because Jesus told us. Neighbor doesn't just mean for us a person we like, a person we understand, a person we look like. Actually, we have the means and the opportunity now to engage others all around the world and right here at home. And we're going to do it. Because when you have the means and the opportunity to prove to be a neighbor, you do it. Because there really is no greater joy than coming alongside of Jesus in this good Samaritan ministry and introducing salvation to those who desperately need it. That's why we do what we do. And I'd love for you to be a part of it. Your neighbors, anybody in need of compassion? Right here at home, around the world. Listen, this, this emphasis called Difference Makers that we have every year. It, listen, it's all about just reminding us, okay, that we live in a world with a lot of broken people. Can I be honest with you? <laughs> I don't like some of these people. Anybody else with me on that? <laughs> hypocrites. Again, you a bunch of hypocrites. Nobody's going to admit. Like, I know there's people you don't like. I've been to parts of the world where I engaged people I wasn't sure I was really going to like. But when I got there and I saw their desperate need, The compassion trumped everything else. I've been to India and um, I've seen people worship the cobras that live beneath their human temples. I've seen the murals on the walls of homes of respected leaders. Pictured there on these walls, gods that are purely of human making. And my heart broke. I've been to Central America. I've been to Africa. I've been all over Europe. I've... Let me tell you something. We live in a world where there's a lot of people spiritually dying on the side of the road. And they don't know it. And... Um, and we have the ultimate good Samaritan Jesus who said, go, make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them what I have taught you. And that's why we do what we do here at Bell Shoals. And um, no matter how long you've been here or how long you've been a Christ follower or 
Maybe you're not a Christ follower yet and Jesus is calling you to himself today, the good Samaritan. Listen, whatever your story and whatever your situation, I just want, I want to encourage you today. You can, you can join us in making a difference. By scheduling an, on, an ongoing regular gift that, by the way, supports our missionaries and our church planners by stopping off at a round table today and just getting some information about a country or even a domestic location here. You don't have to travel outside the United States. There are lost people in America. <laughs> By volunteering at our Hope House, I mean, listen, I just want you to know, you can be a difference maker. You don't have to have a seminary education. You don't have to be, you know, wealthy. You can make a difference. You just need compassion. You just need to not be the priest, the Levite, who's aware of the needs without ever stopping to do anything about it. And um, before we get out of here today, I just want you to see one more story. Um, it's an episode here of Difference Makers with just a couple people, just like you, just like me, normal folks. And uh, it's so cool just to see how... Um, God uses average, ordinary people to make a difference. What's the common ingredient we have other than, you know, the, the salvation that Jesus gives? It's compassion. All right, let's watch this together.
right, so we're going to continue to prove to be a neighbor to those in need. That has always been the heartbeat of Bell Shoals. That's going to continue to be the heartbeat of Bell Shoals. I believe the Lord has so richly blessed our faith family because from day one, it's been our commitment to get the gospel to the nations. We don't do what we do for us. We do it for the Lord, for his glory, in obedience to his commands, that we might be a blessing to those around us. And so I want to invite you to be a part of what God's doing here at Bell Shoals. Um, as you, as you uh, work through the lobby today, hey, stop by one of the round tables. Um, just get some information. Uh, I'll be out there in the lobby here in a moment. I'd love to meet you, talk with you, pray with you, and uh, just, just help you be a part um, of all that God is doing. And just like uh, what I learned the first time I went to South Africa, God can use a basketball to bring people to Jesus. He can use a skill you have. Maybe it's athletics, maybe it's construction, maybe it's evangelism, maybe it's helping out with a church planter. I mean, just maybe it's just going along and serving, being a helping hand. I'm just telling you, it, it's amazing to see how the Lord uses what we consider to be so ordinary and routine in extraordinary ways when we just commit to uh, leverage our time, talent, treasure for Him. So um, I wanna encourage you to be a part of that, all right?